In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, as I was preparing this week, um, my mind was on 2023, right? This is uh, the first Sunday of the new, uh, the new secular calendar, not just the first Sunday, it's quite literally the first day of 2023. It's a day that people make uh, New Year's resolutions. So what I, I have written here is a sort of uh, my sort of commitment to you about some resolutions I'm making about for us as a church and, and a request from you to make a resolution. But um, at the earlier service, because there was no deacon, I read the gospel. And uh, as I was reading the gospel, it really started to bug me that I wasn't preaching on the gospel. So we're just going to scrap what I have here, basically. And uh, we're just going to talk for a little bit. Uh, I will say that the things I wanted to, to talk about is Today is January 1st. It is supposed to be uh, the Feast of the Circumcision and Holy Name, uh, but it's also the second Sunday of Christmas. So what we decided to do was to celebrate second Sunday of Christmas today and then celebrate Circumcision and Holy Name tomorrow. Uh, this is my sort of first commitment, which is uh, we, we say in our, in our mission statement, you know, we're, our vision is to see the world filled with uh, disciples of Jesus Christ, right? And the mission statement is how we're going to do this. Our mission statement is to abide in Christ through England tradition, right? Well, that that at least uh, begins with or, or part of is celebrating all the days that we're supposed to, uh, celebrating the principal feast days, celebrating the red letter holy days. So that's one thing I want to do this year. It's kind of my commitment is to try and make sure that on those days, on the right day, uh, there is uh, a celebration of Holy Communion. Because, you know, some people think that the, the lectionary is designed, you know, hey, Sundays are the primary days. You come for Sundays, you come for Christmas Eve, you come for Easter, and you've, you've got it all. Uh, the lectionary is designed with these principal feast days in mind, with these holy days in mind. If you want to hear the full story of our redemption, if you want uh, to focus in on individual evangelists and individual apostles and uh, particular events from the life of Jesus. That's what these days are for. They kind of fill in the gaps of uh, when he doesn't show up in our, in our Sunday lectionary. So first thing I wanted to say was we are going to do all the principal feasts. So Christmas Day, Epiphany, Easter. Epiphany is when? January 6th. So we're going to have a service this Friday. Uh, at 11 a.m. I know that's not ideal for some people. We've done it in the evening. It's kind of a bigger deal. A lot of people, you know, we haven't had great attendance to that. So then we ended up moving it to Sunday, but that's not what you're supposed to do. So we're going to do it Friday at 11 a.m. And if it grows into a bigger thing, we'll do it in the evening and make a bigger deal out of it. But we are going to celebrate these days. So that's, that was my first commitment. Uh, the second one was that we're going to continue to focus on discipleship. Uh, we sort of started that last year in small ways. One way was our story of the Bible class. That story, or that, that class was kind of a, the story of what's in the Bible, right? Like what story is the Bible telling from Genu uh, Genesis to Revelation? Uh, I'm now calling that the story of the Bible. I'm calling it the story of the Bible part one, because we're going to do uh, part two starting next week. Uh, part two, though, is, is not exactly the same thing. Part two is going to be uh, if part one was the story in the Bible, part two is the story of how we got the Bible, right? Uh, my, my goal is if we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, that we need to be familiar with the book that tells us his story. But my experience is that many Christians, 
uh, and you can nod along if this is you or maybe not, but uh, sort of have a reverence for this book, but don't really know what it is. Right? They don't know how it's structured. They don't know uh, what the, the books are all about. They know this should be a part of my daily life, uh, but I don't know how to get started. I don't know how to jump into it. So that's what this class is going to be about. It's going to be about questions like how many books, you know, what, what are the books of the Bible and how are they arranged the way that they're arranged? How, why are there so many translations? Why are some of the translations different? What, how, do I, how do I make the Bible a part of my regular life? How do I read the Bible? That's, that's what this second class story, the Bible, is about part two. So uh, continued emphasis on discipleship. If if you are attending church here, whether you're a member or not, if you are attending church here, I presume that you want to be discipled, that you want to be part of a community that is helping each other, not just me, but the entire community, helping each other become better disciples of Jesus Christ. Part of that is knowing the story in which words like disciple and Jesus Christ actually make any sense. That was the first class. Uh, and part of that is knowing and being comfortable with and making this book a, a daily part of our lives. That's, that's, the second, that's the second task. Now, on to the thing that I really, I really wanted to talk about. Uh, I want to show you this coin. Uh, front of the coin says, can anybody read that? Is it clear enough? Caesar Augustus, right? Can you read the back? Yeah, it's a little tricky here. Uh, it says, Divus Julius, Divine Julius. So Julius Caesar, as we all know, thanks to Shakespeare, is murdered, right? Uh, there is a, a battle, uh, a war over who's going to succeed him. And eventually, Octavius, later known as Caesar Augustus, takes the role of, of Emperor of Rome, right? And Augustus, to honor Julius Caesar, throws a great party in Rome, a giant festival in Rome. And while this party is going on, a comet appears in the sky and appears to hover over the Roman Empire, over Rome, right? So a comet appears in the sky and hovers over the city. And Augustus interprets this star in the sky as the ascension of Julius Caesar's soul to the gods, right? To him becoming one of the gods. This is what sparks the Roman imperial cult, that the Roman emperors weren't just humans who had sort of taken this position of authority, but were actually more than humans. They were actually sort of either already divine or on their way to becoming divine. This coin was common in the first century. Augustus used this star to legitimize his authority, to invest the authority of the Roman emperor with divine weight, divine power to make a claim that I am a God, right? Divine Julius and I, Caesar Augustus, am his heir, his successor. I too am on the way. 
Um, this is why later emperors are worshipped as gods and Christians are put to death because they won't sacrifice to him. This coin is common in the first century. Every day, you're trading money, right? Buying goods and services with coins that have this star. The star that hovered over the city. And Matthew tells a story about a different star that hovered over a different city and didn't signal that a human was becoming God, but instead, God had become human. See, (laughs) um, in New Testament studies, there is a kind of critique of, from some people who say uh, the Bible isn't actually concerned about empires. The New Testament isn't actually concerned about empires. The kingdom of God and empires aren't actually at conflict with each other. Because there's no passage in Romans, right, where Paul has an extended critique of the emperor or where uh, Paul or Jesus is standing before a public authority and sort of dressing them down for for being a part of, of some kind of wicked empire. Except this is why the story of the Bible class is so important, or just knowing the story of the Bible in general is so important. The, the stone in Daniel 2, right? Nebuchadnezzar has a vision of a statue representing the kingdoms of this world. And a stone cut without hands from the mountain, mountain comes and does what? It smashes, smashes the feet of the, of the statue. And the empires of this world crumble at, at the feet of the stone of the kingdom of God. This story in, Chris, in, in, in Matthew 2 is all about empires. It's all about kingdoms. What is it that the, the wise men say? Where is he who has been born? king of the Jews. Because Herod was not born king of the Jews. Herod was made king of the Jews by a Roman emperor. Herod had to marry into, uh, I've often talked about how the, the Maccabean family, like the whole sort of story of the Maccabees and Judas Maccabeus uh, is looms large in the Gospels, even if we don't like see it in sort of every page or explicitly. Uh, Herod had to marry Mary Omne, a descendant of the Hasmone- a descendant of the, the Maccabees, the Hasmoneans, just to legitimize his own claim. Right, just to legitimize his own position. Even though the Roman emperor had made him king, the people wouldn't accept him. He thought, well, maybe if I marry, maybe if I marry one of the Maccabees, they'll they'll accept me. Christmas is about the miracle of the incarnation. Christmas is about Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas is about, even more than God with us, God becoming one of us. But Christmas is also about kingdoms and empires. And if we don't hear that in the songs that we sing, in the passages that we read, we are missing something significant. 
Because this story Matthew is putting in front of us this morning, this story is asking us a question. Which star do you follow? The star that hung over Rome and is used to legitimate, you know, legitimize the authority of the Roman emperor? Or do you follow the star that, to use Matthew's terms, rested over the place where the child was? This text is asking you a question about kingdoms, about empires, and about your loyalty, about who you serve, about who you follow, about who the world's true king is. So this Christmas, as it it comes to a close, and on January 6th, we transition from the Christmas season into Epiphany, I, I want that question, those questions probably, to be on your mind. This child who was born in the manger, he is... He is God in the flesh. He is the Savior of the world. And in case you don't know this, they said all the same things about Augustus, right? His birth was good news to the whole world. He was uh, the Savior of the world because he brought the Pax Romana. He brought, he brought peace to the Roman Empire. He brought peace to the known world. The language we use about Jesus is just riffing off of how the Romans already talked about, uh, about Augustus. Matthew is asking us today which star you follow, which kingdom you belong to. The birth of Jesus isn't just about the incarnation, isn't just about God with us, isn't just about God becoming one of us. Those things are all incredible and profound and uh, beyond our comprehension, but they are also about kingdoms, and loyalties, and this one life-changing, world-changing question of who is the world's true king. Every, every empire has its answer. But the church, the kingdom of God, we say the star rested over the place where the child Jesus was. He is the one who has been born king of the Jews. He is the world's true savior. He is the world's true Lord. And if you're going to follow a star, follow his. Amen.